Turn your Bibles, if you will. We're going to start in Matthew chapter 2. But as you're turning there, just a few things to share. So how do sheep say Merry Christmas? Fleece, yes, fleece Navidad. What do you call reindeer ghosts? Caribou. How do gingerbread men cover up? Oh, no. With cookie sheets. And what did the wise men say after they gave Jesus gold and frankincense? They said, wait, there's myrrh. You know you're going to repeat that one tomorrow. Amen. As I said earlier, Merry Christmas. Not Happy Holidays. It's Merry Christmas. Amen? This world is constantly trying to remove Christ from Christmas. Years ago, it started with Xmas, and now it's evolved to, you know, Happy Holidays. And retail companies, they won't even let their employees wish anyone a Merry Christmas anymore. It's mandated. They have to say Happy Holidays. And to me, I don't know, it's just not a good tactic because how many holidays are there in December, right? And that thought actually made me a little curious, so I decided to go on the internet and do a little search for all the national days that we recognize because everything on the internet's true, right? So that's where I went. It's pretty interesting what I found. Did you know that December 1st was actually National Pie Day? December 3rd was National Roof Over Your Head Day. Never knew such a thing existed. December 5th was International Ninja Day. Bet you didn't see that one coming. Ninja? Some of you got it. December 11th, National Noodle Ring Day. Noodle rings. It's a national day. And my favorite was on December 16th, National Chocolate-Covered Anything Day. Isn't that how everything should be, just covered in chocolate? That way, if you don't really like it, you can at least suck the chocolate off of it. Right? So for... Christians, for those who believe in Jesus Christ, it's not happy holidays, it's Merry Christmas, amen. Because Christmas is a holy day. It's an incredibly special day for all mankind. The day that Almighty God came down to us, amen. Took on human flesh to meet us on our level, to show us what unconditional love looks like as he took our place on Calvary's cross, to redeem our sins. And Christmas, I don't know about you, but it's my favorite time of year. A time where we enjoy the company of family and and friends. A time to celebrate our Lord who has come. And I'd be remiss if I didn't mention a time of giving. Amen? Time of giving. Now, there's occasions when we spend 
a lot of time and a lot of effort trying to find that perfect gift for that someone special, right? There's times when we do that. Why? Because gifts have meaning and value for both the giver and the recipient. Amen? Take anniversary gifts, for example. It's tradition that on the first anniversary, we give the gift of paper. And boy, I wish I found that picture when we had our first anniversary. You see, it's toilet paper. For the 21st or 25th anniversary, our tradition has it that we give a gift of silver. And for our 50th wedding anniversary, it's a gift of gold. So gifts mean things. And at Christmas, we carry on that tradition of giving gifts. Christmas and gifts, they just seem to go hand in hand, don't they? And this is fine as long as, you know, we keep it in the proper context and in the spirit of giving. And we don't get tied up in all the materialistic stuff. Amen? Nothing wrong with giving. Amen? In fact, the giving of gifts is the oldest of Christmas tradition. It dates all the way back to those wise men, those magi who gave gifts to Christ. Now this morning, I want to take a closer look at those gifts that these wise men gave our precious Lord. Now last week, we talked about the wise men themselves. So we're going to pick up in Matthew chapter 2. We're going to start right at verse 1. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and the scribes and the people together, He inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared, And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child. And when you have found him, bring him back word to me, or bring back word to me, that I may come and worship him also. And when they heard the king, they departed. And behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them, till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. So as we touched on last week, these wise men, or, or magi, they were experts in the study of stars. They were experts in astrology. 
And the Bible tells us that they came from the east. We don't know exactly where they came from. It just says they came from the east. And and many Bible scholars believe that's probably Babylon. And we also find that they were being led by a star, or literally in the original Greek, it meant a brilliant light. And again, last week we, we touched on that, that I believe that brilliant light is the Shekinah glory of God that we read about in the Old Testament. That same Shekinah glory uh, cloud that led the Israelites uh, through the desert. And at this point, I also believe it would be wise to separate fact from fiction when it comes to these magi. Now, I had mentioned tradition earlier. Some traditions are good and some traditions are just wrong. So I want to, let's separate fact from uh, uh, tradition. Now, the first one centers around the nativity scenes that we see at this time of year. Many nativity scenes have the actual magi at the manger presenting their gifts to Christ. That's not what we just read in the Bible. In verse 11, it says that they met him in the house when he was a young child, and that word in the Greek is much different from an infant or a newborn. Um, And I think Mr. Rain mentioned it also around two years of age. So that's the first thing. The second thing centers around three wise men. You know, we always see the wise men in threes, right? And even tradition has attached names to them. Belteshazzar, Caspar, and Melchior. The Bible never gives us a number of wise men, nor does it ever give us their names. Their names actually came from a 7th century Christmas opera. That's where those three names came from, and it just stayed out of tradition. Now, the number three, why we associate three wise men, probably comes from how many gifts they gave, right? They gave three gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, then we attach the number three. But the Bible really doesn't tell us exactly how many magi there were. And my purpose is, you know, not to be negative and not to ruin, you know, your nativity scenes. I just want to make sure that we're able to separate biblical truth from man-made traditions, right? So let's get back to what we do know is truth. These wise men, these magi presented Christ with gifts. And these gifts had very significant meaning and value and a purpose. So the first thing I want us to consider this morning are gifts of the past. Gifts of the past. Verse 11, again, says, And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, I want us to consider each one of those gifts and why those particular gifts were given to the young Christ child. First gift was given was gold. You know, gold, its, its mere name carries its worth and its value, doesn't it? Gold is, is attached and it's, it's symbolic of royalty. It's the standard of wealth around the entire world. Amen. I once heard this alternative definition of the golden rule. It said, he who has all the gold rules. Right? It's kind of how it goes in this world today. Gold is a very, very precious metal full of just absolute rare beauty. 
and it's certainly a gift fitting for a king. These wise magi came all the way from the east. The Bible tells us that they bow down in worship before their king and humbly presented Christ the precious gift of gold. Symbolic of his kingship, symbolic of his royal divine blood, symbolic of his deity. Second gift we see is that of frankincense. As its name indicates, it's a type of incense. We're all familiar with incense. We burn it and it smells good, right? So this fragrant gift actually comes from a rare Middle Eastern tree. And the tree, uh, the sap from that tree is actually considered very sacred and, and very holy throughout Arabia. And frankincense, when we look at its spiritual significance, it's symbolic with the Old Testament incense offering. It was used both in temple worship as well as the anointing process of the high priest. And the Bible tells us that the incense offering was always offered separate from the sin offering, or really from any other offering from that, uh, as, as that, uh, for that matter. Uh, the incense offering had the sole purpose as an act of worship, an act of thanksgiving, and an act of praise to the Lord. That was the purpose of the incense offering. We read here that these wise magi traveled all the way from the east, bowed down in worship, and offered Christ the gift of frankincense, symbolic of his purity as our perfect high priest who shed his own blood in atonement for our sins. Third gift was that of myrrh. Now, the word myrrh is derived from the Hebrew word mar, M-A-R-R, and it literally means sour or bitter. In Bible times, myrrh was, was used with the embalming process. Now, the book of Revelation, chapters 2 and 3, contains the seven letters that Jesus wrote to the seven churches throughout Asia Minor. And the second letter that he wrote went to the church of Smyrna. Now, we're familiar with that city name, aren't we? Because one state over, we have Smyrna, Delaware. But that word Smyrna is, uh, comes from the root word myrrh. And this church in Asia Minor, the church of Smyrna, this is very symbolic as that church was associated with just incredible suffering. In the Gospel of John, chapter 19 we read in verse 38, After this, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly, for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him permission. So he came and he took the body of Jesus. And Nicodemus, who, was at, fir uh, who at first came to Jesus by night, also came, bringing a mixture of myrrh, and aloes, about a hundred pounds. Then they took the body of Jesus and bound it in strips of linen with the spices as the custom of the Jews is to bury. These wise men came from the east. They bowed down in worship and gave Christ the gift of myrrh. 
symbolic of the very one who was born to die. A gift that said, not only are you a king and our high priest spiritually, but most importantly, a gift that says you are our precious Savior. These were the gifts given to Jesus in the past. Now I want us to think about and consider the gifts of the future. Go to Isaiah chapter 60. Starting at verse 1. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and deep darkness the people. But the Lord will arise over you, and his glory will be set upon you. The Gentiles shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. Lift up your eyes all around and see. They all gather together. They come to you. Your sons shall come from afar, and your daughters shall be nursed at your side. Then you shall see and become radiant, and your heart shall swell with joy, because the abundance of the sea shall be turned to you. The wealth of the Gentiles shall come to you. The multitude of camels, I want you to pay particular attention to this last verse, verse 6. The multitude of camels shall cover your land, the dromedaries of Midian and Ephah, All those from Sheba shall come. They shall bring gold and incense, and they shall proclaim the praises of the Lord. Now, Isaiah chapter 6 is a very prophetic chapter in the book of Isaiah. It's a a chapter of prediction. It's foretelling of Jesus' future millennial reign after his second coming. That first Christmas, that first Noel, That was Jesus' first coming. This chapter is speaking of his second coming in the near future. And again, I say, pay attention to verse 6. It says, The multitude of camels shall cover your land, the dromedaries of Midian and Ephah, and all uh, those uh, from Sheba shall come. And they shall bring gold and incense. Now, this gives us a glimpse of, into that future reign of Christ as he sits on the throne in Jerusalem. Now, this verse also tells us of this massive caravan that's bringing gifts. What were the gifts that it brought? Gold and incense. What was missing? Myrrh. Remember, these are future gifts. This is after his second coming, not his first coming, his second coming. So why is myrrh missing? Simply put, Jesus came to die once and only once. Amen. He is the precious Lamb of God that came to redeem us from our sins. However, when Jesus comes a second time, he's no longer going to be that meek and mild lamb. He will be the lion of the tribe of Judah the Lord of lords, the King of kings. He's going to come with all of his glory. The first time he came, he left his glory behind. The second time he comes, he's coming with all his glory as the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the Lion of the tribe of Judah. He's not coming to die in silence as he did the first time. He's coming to usher in judgment and justice. Amen? 
He's coming to reign forever as our priestly king. So now we've seen the gifts of the past. We've seen the gifts of the future. What about our gifts today? Let's consider the gifts of the present. Now, I believe we need to follow in the Magi's footsteps, right? And be wise in our giving of gifts to our Lord today. What kind of wise gifts can we give? Well, first, we need to give Jesus the gift that is fit for a king. What is that? That's worship and obedience. Amen? The gift that is fit for a king, worship and obedience. Psalm 95. O come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout joyfully to him with psalms. For the Lord is the great God and the great King above all gods. In his hand are the deep places of the earth. The heights of the hills are his also. The sea is his, for he made it. And his hands formed the dry land. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you will, hear his voice. Do not harden your hearts. Come to Christ. John chapter 4, verse 23. Jesus said, but the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. And then Jesus kind of sums everything up in John 14, 15. He simply says, if you love me, keep my commandments. Pretty simple, isn't it? If you love me, just Listen to me, right? Too often we get a negative viewpoint of the Bible and we say, well, we, it says we can't do this or can't do that. Listen, when God says don't, he's saying don't get hurt. I love you too much. You know, as parents, we see our kids getting close to danger. What do we say? Don't touch that or don't go there. Why? Because we love them and we don't want them to get hurt. And the same is true of his word. When we see don't, God is simply telling us there's trouble that way. Don't go there. Don't get hurt. Let us humble our hearts. Let us humble our lives to him and yield our will to the kingship of Christ in worship and obedience. Secondly, let us give him the gift that is fitting for a high priest. As I said earlier, Jesus left the beauty, all the glory of heaven, and, and he cast off his own glory and his own splendor to come and take on the limitations, to take on the sufferings of our flesh, and he became a man so that he could become our high priest. And to understand this a little better, Hebrews chapter 4, 15 for we do not have a high priest in Jesus Christ who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. Now that word weaknesses in the Greek literally means our hurts and our heartaches, right? So it's saying that Christ, our high priest, 
He can sympathize with our hurts and our heartaches, but was in all points tempted just as we are, yet without sin. Amen? He is our high priest. That verse right there is the Christmas message. It's that simple. God chose not to stay in heaven and shout from afar off, Hey, down there, I love you. Instead, he chose to come down to us and meet us right where we are, right in the middle of our sins, right in the middle of our sinful nature. And he did this so that we could literally reach out to him and touch him and know him and and have a relationship with him and feel his presence every single day. Matthew chapter 11. Skipping down to verse 28. Jesus said, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. First Peter. 5.7, the Bible tells us to cast all of our care upon him, upon Christ. Why? Because he cares for us. Plain and simple. 1 John 1.7. I'm sorry, skip down to verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So let's give Jesus the gift of our hurts, give him the gift of our heartaches, give him the burden of all of our sins. Amen. That's what he desires from us. And lastly, let's give him the gift fitting for a Savior. And to be honest... This is where I'm ending, but it's actually where it all starts. For the first gift that we can give him is the gift of our heart. Amen. I want to close with sharing a testimony from a pastor that I'm going to admit is much wiser than this pastor here today. I read this testimony several years back. He said, after preaching a Christmas message, a young man in the congregation came to him after the servants had said, I don't understand why you always have to preach about the cross and the blood and, and, and about Jesus dying, especially at Christmas time. Why can't you just preach about how good he was and the great example that he set for all of us? I bet if you did, you would have a lot more people in the pews, like some of my friends, and a lot more money in the plates too. The pastor answered the young man and he said, son, Would you be willing to follow Jesus if I would preach him just as an example? The young man said, I sure would, and so would all the others. The preacher said, okay. Jesus never sinned. Can you follow that example? Can you stand in those footsteps? The young man answered, he said, well, no, nobody can. It's not that I want to sin, I just do. I end up sinning anyhow. 
The young man wasn't sure what else to say, and the preacher just let him think about the conversation for a moment. The preacher then said, You see, son, your first need of Jesus is not as an example. Your first need of Jesus is as a Savior. If we try to follow his example and earn our way into God's good grace, we will fail miserably. It just cannot be done. That's why Jesus went to the cross and took upon himself our sins. And all that's left for us to do, all that we can do, is give him our heart.